Welcome to Paddy Talks, brought to you thanks to Seed Golf Balls, who deliver you affordable to a performance, same performance, half the price. Check them out at www.seedgolf.com and try them today. I played the Seed 2 Pro Plus, which is geared for lower spin from the driver, a lower kind of ball flight, more run out, and gives me an extra check and control around the greens. While I might be out of control, the ball certainly isn't. So it's perfect for the Lynx Golf I'm accustomed to. Before we get stuck into this podcast, if you can all do one well, let's do two things, will it be, folks? Can we all leave a review? Wherever you listen to this podcast, leave a review. Give me some feedback when you think of the episode. Five stars if you can. Maybe not one. I think they're at least worth four. The second thing is, if you can go to at the golf house, so that's the golf HSE, we're looking to create a community over there. Have fun. And in time, when we're all out of isolation, set up some workshops, golf days, events, sell some gear. We want to grow the game, introduce new people, young kids people of all abilities and disabilities to the game and in time build a world-class facility so if you want to learn more about that head over to instagram twitter facebook at the golf hse tag your friends in the comments in the posts share it in the whatsapp groups let's build this community together on this week's show we have a man who's gone from going live in his kitchen on a sunday night to now having over one hundred thousand followers and subscribers across social media this week it's alex elliott golf just one quick final call to action before we get stuck in with our guest this week is to head over to paddygolf.com. So join the time sheet over there. Once we get to like 500 people on that list, we will start giving away free stuff. So it's like free money, people. Why wouldn't you join the time sheet? Now, roll it there, Colette. I mean, listen, we talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Wait, Joe Bradley, what do you get at? Thank you for pressing play on today's show. We have a man I've been a subscriber to, literally, for a long time now, since he started with Sunday evening live Q&As from his kitchen, uh, former professional caddy, or he may still caddy, we'll get into it, PJ professional, YouTube content creator, Alex Elliott. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much for having me, Padre. No problem at all. You, you, you almost got the name there. Did I get almost. it? Did I not get it right? I thought I did. Padre, <laughs> uh, uh, there we oh, go. Uh, I've been sitting over okay. in my head to try and make sure I got it right. <laughs> Don't worry, that was the hardest part of the whole, <laughs> the whole chat, is my name. Alex, uh, before we get into anything, everyone's in isolation. What are you doing to stay sane? To be honest, I've been, it sounds might sound crazy, so I've probably been busier than I normally am because I usually create all my content and do everything like two or three weeks in advance. I'm now uploading two times a day. Uh, so doing my uh, usual upload at two o'clock and then doing the golf chat show live which goes up anytime between five and seven so organizing people to come on the show like you've done with this um and organize everything around that as well as doing online lessons i'm like looking forward to chilling out a little bit in a minute <laughs> <laughs> when isolation's over hopefully soon for yeah. all of us uh you'll, you'll actually go on holiday will you no well no <laughs> obviously there's more important things than uh what i've just said and obviously we're all doing it for a, a big big reason and then a very important reason but yeah, I've, I guess you could look at it two ways. I've, you could you could even look at it and say, oh, I've got no content. I'm going to take a back seat and just chill out or going to throw myself headfirst into trying to do it as much as I can. And I thought, well, 
for the sake of myself mentally and uh, everything else and keep myself busy, I just thought, well, let's just do as much as I can. No, absolutely. I, I know for me personally, like um, I wouldn't be creating anywhere close to the amount of content or, or um, that, that you do. But like it's it's great for me mentally and well-being that, you know, I, I'm keeping myself busy. I'm lining up conversations. I'm mapping out questions, you know, and I have something to look forward to. So, um, yeah, I've given myself loads of little projects to do. For you, Alex, though, um, you are a young guy compared to me. Um, but what was your earliest golf in memory? Earliest golf in memory? Um, it's, it is to do with golf, but my earliest golf in memory is actually I used to be – I started junior golf at around like four or five, like at the local club where you go and like group lessons and things like that. Uh, Bramwell Golf Club just down the road from me. Um, I actually remember the earliest memory is getting ready to do um, a junior session on a Saturday afternoon. And my dad was having me tie my laces. And at that time, my dad wore metal spikes in the golf shoes. <laughs> and he went, yeah. just put your foot there. And he stood on my toe. And I'm thinking, oh, I can't go and do my golf lesson now. So for me, that's like one of my earliest memories. I know it's not like smashing a three or something like that, but that's literally, we joke about it now. Uh, so that's one of my earliest memories associated with golf. Very good. So painful, but um, you embraced the pain. Yeah, it didn't put me off, put it that way. <laughs> no, very good. So between then being trod on um, and, and turning for PGA, was there a point, was there any other like conflicting sports or was there other interests or was it always golf for you? Um, I, I used to play all sports. Um, passionate about cricket, absolutely love my cricket. People used to, I used to bat, terrible at bowling. Like it was fast, but erratic. Um, so I used to love cricket, I used to love batting at cricket and people used to take the mick out of me. Uh, you, you're hitting like a golf shot and I'm like, yeah, because I'm a golfer. What do you expect? Like I don't, mm. I had no forward defensive put it that way um I also played football tennis any sport that I could throw myself into I did but when I got to I re- I'm gonna say about 13 14 I was like no like golf is what I want to do uh seriously so I stopped playing football I still played cricket because I could play that uh, midweek at the time it was like after school so I still played cricket um but I knew from that time forward I was gonna put all my time into my dream was to play on the European tour. That's what I kind of invested all my time into. So once I decided that, I um, even up to the age of 18, once I finished college, I was like, right, how could I spend my winters away? I used to work in Portugal and trade off for being able to practice and play. So everything was associated with being a professional golfer. Absolutely. So I'm not going to ask a question like, where did the dream die? But like, at what point were you when you were like, okay, well, maybe tour golf is 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 maybe above my not above my station but like i'm not at that level was there a realization point when you when you realized oh i'll go down the teaching route or was it through caddying or was there a kind of um a compelling event it's funny really um i i started caddying um and then two years into caddying i was like i can do this i can be as good as these guys and i sort of thought right i, I can compete there because I, I knew as a as a good player turn pro plus one I mean, this guy's a term pro, pro off even uh, lower handicaps than that. But I was like, no, I sort of took it as inspiration that I could do it. And then as soon as I turned pro, like to fund my season, I thought, well, uh, I'm going to sell shares of myself. So basically, the people that sold shares of me weren't looking to make money. They were just doing it to support me. But as soon as I started doing that, I was like, my game went from being really good and a really good place to being nowhere. And I was like, 
six, seven months into this and playing. And I remember finishing third in an event and I picked up 15 pounds and it cost me 250 pounds to enter. And I was like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Um, it sounds funny. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm money driven. Uh, I'm driven to be successful. And if like, I just found that I got to a point where I was like, I just can't do this. Like I was falling out of love with the whole sport completely. I didn't want to play golf. Didn't want to practice. And now, um, for three or four years down the line from that, I'm like, absolutely love golf. Can't get enough of it. Absolutely. Just, I'll just ask one question around that time then. What did you put, could, could, when, you, when you look back in it, can you put it down to a couple of things like that six month stint between loving the game, turning pro and then look and if it affecting the new performance wise, was it down to, uh, you trying to get to a level technical wise or was it the travel involved or do you look back and think, well, I actually think it was that. To be honest, it, around, around that time, I was just playing like local mini tour events. So it was like traveling not very far at all, like maybe two or three hours at most and like one or two round events. And they would probably be over one day, maximum of two days. Um, the thing that I'd put it down to is I didn't compete as well as I wanted to at that level. So um, I would say mentally, I was just absolutely frazzled. Um, I just couldn't think about anything apart from not being on the golf course. And I could play well for 15 holes and then hit one bad shot and I'd be like, God, don't want to be there. I hate golf. This is awful. Um, and I think the people think, thing people don't realise is, I think, when turning pro, unless you've got like a massive, uh, not massive, but a good enough amount of sponsorship to help you uh, eat well, uh, have as much training as you need, have a fitness coach, and have all these aspects that if you're not involved with, say, like an England squad or a national team, if you don't have that, you've got to sort of fund that yourself. And I felt like I was at a massive disadvantage because I didn't have all these aspects that I knew other people did have. So I just felt like I was an uphill climb from then. And it's just, it's cost so much money even to play at that level. Like, if I said to you per event, um, bear in mind, like first prize might sound a lot, might be a thousand pounds first prize, but second prize might be 300 pounds. Like it's going to cost me per event, like 500 pounds. So you've got to almost win to make your money back. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, yeah. I can't do this. I, I got a girlfriend at the time and we were like, I wanted to sort of move on. I wanted to start building a career for myself. And I just thought, I can't do this. I just, I'm not enjoying it. And, I'm, and I don't want to carry on doing something that I don't enjoy, but I want to be in golf. No, definitely. The first time I came across your channel, you were doing a bit of caddying for Tom Murray. So how did that decision, where did that opportunity come from the, to caddy for a professional golfer? It's, it's a funny story, really. I know I mentioned before that um, I used to go out to Portugal in the winter to prepare for my professional seasons and uh, do as much as I can in like warm weather training. And whilst I was out there and I was actually working at a golf club called Bovista in Portugal, I don't know if you've heard of it, no, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah. I'm stuck in the island of Ireland. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a wife and two kids keep me here. And um, so, as a golf club called uh, Bovista out there, and Andrew Murray, Tom's dad, was running a golf school there, um, and I got asked to help out, just like moving golf balls around, doing so so things and so forth. And I started speaking to Andrew, and he was very kind and it's like, "Oh, what are you doing out here?" So I told him I was um, out there to uh, practice my golf. So he gave me a chipping lesson just out of his own I didn't didn't say he would, didn't charge me didn't do anything he said after thanks for helping me after all this uh, come for a chipping lesson so after we finished that day went and had a chipping lesson with him and then he actually started coaching me for like uh, well 
till now, really. Like I still I speak to him pretty much every day. He's, he's I'd say he's someone that I really look up to, and uh, and he's been very very good to me over the years. And it got to about a year after having lessons with him, and he said, "Do you want to carry for Tom in a local event at Witchwood Park, which is like forty five minutes from home?" Uh, so I said, yeah, why not? It was like a three-day event. Anyway, I caddy for him, uh, and we finished second. So I was like, Good. this is fun. This is great fun. So two weeks down the line, Tom got into a Challenge Tour event because this is the season where he had kind of like a park card on Challenge Tour. So he said, do you want to come out and caddy for me in Switzerland? So I was like, yeah, it's 100%. So we made the weekend. I think we finished 12th um, after shooting six under final round. I made some good calls on the day, he said, on the final round. Um, so I carried from in that event and I just absolutely loved it. So it got to about maybe three, three months later coming up to kind of October time where he went, do you want to come and do second stage of tour school with me? So I've gone from not really knowing Tom to spending weeks on end with him. And now we're going to second stage of tour school, which is like make or break for him. If you don't get through to final stage, you pretty much got no card at all. So we got through second stage. We finished, I think we finished fourth and it was top 10 possibly go through to final stage. And then we got through to final stage and he's got his full European tour card. So in the space of like three months, I've gone from playing mini tour events to caddying on a Leopard Creek in the, the locker next to Sergio Garcia. And I'm like, what has happened here? How bad? How bad, huh? So you're, you're a lucky charm for Tom. So when people... Look at caddies on tour. They take it for granted that um, they provide a lot of value. So, like, I've, I've only had a caddy myself a couple of times as an amateur, and literally as a pain of green fee, like I had one in St. Andrews, um, mm. and I had one in um, Tralee when I played in an event there. And for an amateur who gets a caddy of a day, the difference they can make is phenomenal. A, they know the course like the back of their hand, um, and it's more of a course management exercise, which is fantastic. But at tour level, what insights or value um, were you able to bring to Tom and what what can caddies in general on tour? I know that roles might change from player to player, but in general, what would, what would your role be? You know, it's funny. I, I'd always say like, and I, I don't joke about it, I'd say like, oh, I didn't, didn't really do anything. Whereas you get some caddies that would say, oh, no, I, I, I did everything for my player. At the end of the day, I always used to think if your player is going to play well, he's going to play well. You could... You could be standing on your head, carrying your bag on one arm and not really saying anything. If he's playing well, he's playing well. But for me, the real value you add is when it's raining or like when your player's not playing well. You've got to just, I guess you it learn um, to understand what they're feeling like. You learn to understand their emotions. But it's overall, your value is when the player's not playing well to keep them focused, whether that be in the round or one from one round to next or from one week to another week because if you're out on the road for four to five weeks with Tom and I used to share a room with Tom it, people might think that might become a bit too much if you're on a bad run but we did so well uh, and just speaking about me and Tom from going from being friends off the course to when we get to the course it's strictly business uh, so I'd say your, your most value from a caddy is when the play is not playing well and it's raining Oh, definitely when it's raining. Like I've been there. I've ca- I caddied in um, Lahinch for four or five years. A put me through college. Yeah. Um, but B, yeah, it was like <laughs> it's invaluable when it's raining. Yeah. Uh, that much. I guess but, the other, um, other thing is sorry. So uh, oh, go for it. Yeah. I think the other thing is obviously as I mentioned course management. It's when they're not thinking rationally about something. So are they under the cosh? Um, are they in a situation that they're not used to being in? Um, it, it, it's that point where you've got to be that person 
which they look to to get the most sound advice and impartial advice. So you're not taking um, into account emotions, into account situation. You're taking into account that shot at that time, no matter if there's one person watching, if it's a practice round or it's to win the tournament. And I think if you can stay impartial on all those levels, that's where you can add so much value as a caddy. Oh, definitely. It's massively overlooked, um, in, in my experience anyway. Where did the point come when you were like caddying and being a professional golfer yourself? Did you turn to YouTube and social media and content curation in a much more full-time capacity? Um, I wouldn't say I'm full-time now, really. Like I, I do it um, as well as my coaching, um, but the kind of whole story about social media kind of came along. My girlfriend went to me, uh, do you want to, do you want to do some social media? I was like, no, not for me. I'm not one of those people. I'm quite private. Da, 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 da. Next thing I know, I've got a YouTube channel, I've got an Instagram and I'm, I'm all over everything. <laughs> um, but, um, I'd say when I started taking it seriously was, um, about three or four months into doing it, I was like, I've got 10,000 followers on Instagram here from like not really doing anything. Like I had loads of photos stored from when I was caddying and, loads of kind of cool behind the scenes things and I thought there could be something in this so I guess from that point onwards I started treating it as a full-time job even though it, it wasn't and I know, I know you mm-hmm. know how much work goes into just creating one video um it's a lot more than what people think um, yeah okay we'll, we'll stop you there how much work goes into creating <laughs> um a 20 minute video we'll say it's like one of your um training aid videos uh, training aid Tuesday uh, so they're usually like, say, eight, anywhere between eight and 12 minutes long, like kind of what, what I do. But so for me, to plan, to plan it, to film it, to kind of storyboard it in your head, to then editing it, to then uploading it, choosing the thumbnail, it's like three, three and a half hours work per video, at least. For, and, and for that's 10 to minutes, do it. Folks. Yeah. <laughs> and that's to do it you know. good, like, because it's so competitive. We were saying this before we came uh, on air. It's so competitive. You've got to do something, whether it be, the quality of your sound, the quality of the video in, the personality. You've got to do something to um, stick out and put your head up above the parapet to, to make to make yourself um, get out there. 100%. So when you had 10,000 followers um, and you decided, I'm going to treat it like my business, and it effectively is uh, yep. part of your business now, um, what was the main aim of going more full-time into it and what were your expectations? So my, my, my long-term goal with it, and I, I don't, I'm not there yet, I want, to, um, I want to get into like Sky Sports, TV, presenting, radio, so I'm, I, and coaching as well. But I'm using that as my platform to be like, hey, look, um, I, can, I can do this kind of thing. Because if you look at football, cricket, golf, like the main people, and Nick Doherty is fantastic, by the way, um, mm. and what he does, the main people that get the jobs um, are ex-players or people who are being behind the ropes in that kind of environment um, and that's how they uh, elevate themselves so I thought well how can I elevate myself create a YouTube channel do do all these things and do it the best I can and do the presenting the best I can and that hopefully I, I shout loud enough to potentially one day get out there and be on TV that's a fantastic goal to have and um, I think you're well on, well on your way to to getting noticed um, by the by the big dogs in Sky Sports or BBC or ITV or any of those places, there's definitely um, there's definitely a space for for someone that's as modern thinking as you are. Um, but forty thousand YouTube subscribers w- would definitely endorse you. I think. Yeah, Where do hopefully, <laughs> hopefully uh, I definitely <laughs> say they would. Where do all the content ideas keep coming from? 
Oh, that is a difficult one. I'll do a lot of them come from when I'm teaching. Uh, when people ask me questions, or when you get somebody new, or they come in like, I don't quite feel it that way, I can't quite get it. And you think, somebody's got to think on your feet. And most of the little drills that I've come from are like hybrids of other drills that I've sort of made up on the spot from my knowledge, from my experience, to help someone understand a certain concept. Um, and I've done a lot of work with Carl Morris recently and gone down more into like the performance side of things. And that's sort of opened my eyes up to a, a wider field of content for me, I guess, as well as, well as knowledge. Um, so for me, constantly reading different things, uh, watching different articles online, there's loads of good things you can watch. But also just looking back on what actually works. I think, and I'm one of them people, I, like you say, I create content and the one thing that I try to do is make it simple. I don't like leaving people with jargon because there's a lot of things out there that are great content, but I find that these, these pieces of great content are good for coach to coach. Like they're not actually good for, in my opinion, for someone to learn from and actually improve their goals. Even though the information is fantastic, it's all correct, it's absolutely unbelievable, it's presented great, it's just for a coach-to-coach level. And that that's for me, I try to stay away from that. I try to keep it fresh, keep it simple. And I think that way it helps me create ideas that are simple and other people potentially wouldn't do, which gives me scope to do more things. No, definitely. Um, and it's all about around the language you use. Um, and from watching your videos, like I am quite a simple person and I find your videos very easy to understand. Um, which helps me. So when I go and get a lesson and I get them often enough, I'll ask my coach, like, can you, will I'll suggest links to him from your channel yeah. and he'll pick one. Actually, that's the best one for you to use this week. Yeah. I'll watch that video if you can to kind of like reimburse what we're trying to achieve here. Um, so cool. if you can get two Irish lads to understand, uh, you can get anyone to understand. Um, could you break down your week for me in terms of, because um, everybody sees, you know, the amount of followers and all that jazz and I think like, I used to do it was full time, um, like many people would do, but you're still teaching. And as I would say, it's still the mainstay of your business income, we'll say. Could you break down your week in terms of how much time is spent coaching, how much time is spent planning, and how much time is spent creating content, and then how much time is spent with your lovely girlfriend? You know, <laughs> not, not, not enough, according to it, or probably too much, maybe, depending on what day you ask. <laughs> um, <laughs> These days, maybe too much. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to do it on, as if we're, we're not in lockdown and we're just like... As if you're not in lockdown, yeah. 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 Um, so, oh, I, I would say, um, and this is something I've tried to become, is more organized with it all. Um, I try and plan videos. Uh, try Every Monday, I try and sit down and plan my videos for the next kind of... I'm always two and a half weeks ahead, say, uh, outside of lockdown. Uh, I, on a Monday, I'll sit down and plan my videos, edit anything that needs to go up that week, and sort of sort out a schedule of what I'm going to post when on, say, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and all the other platforms. Um, so Monday is sort of what I kind of like call like my office day, catch up with things, do everything I can do on that kind of side, um, even though that happens every single day. I just try and feel that Monday is the day to do that. And then on Tuesday... Um, I suppose it's not really a set day I would go out and film. It depends when the best weather is. So, for example, if it's been on a Wednesday, I'll I'll make sure I've got some free time around my diary to go and do some filming then. But what I try and do is I will try and film as many videos as I can in one go rather than doing little bits, coming forth, coming back, doing bits, coming back. 
because it's the oh, most okay. it's the best use of time uh, and then say for example i filmed on a tuesday or a wednesday i'd then be coaching thursday friday saturday sunday uh, and i think the thing that um i would say with it i'm constantly editing i'm constantly putting up on instagram so it's not really it's, it's more of a lifestyle um rather than a job and that sounds so corny and i'm sort of cringing myself saying that but it, it, it just is because you, you you've got to be alive when your audience are online and that's usually when you want to chill out and you want to relax so that's when you've got to be working i mean as you know like you can schedule for youtube but um you've constantly got to be looking at new content new ideas so my my, my to answer your question mondays is usually um kind of my catch-up slash office day then tuesday wednesday is when i try and film and then thursday friday saturday sunday is when i'll be uh, either doing online lessons or then uh, be doing my face-to-face lessons uh, down at much hall not dead on in terms of well, something i've seen especially in lockdown is a lot of pga professionals and coaches who mightn't have seen social media as an outlet are now uploading their own drills, which is fantastic. Uploading their drills and uploading videos and seeing engagement. What advice would you have for those those guys and girls who are literally have started their social media kind of um, golf coaching online journey in the last couple of weeks? Don't look at your views. <laughs> would be my total advice. That's great advice. That's, that's fantastic. Like, don't look at your views, yeah. No, because like, at the end of the day, people okay, you want to run it to gain awareness from your business because at the start, you're probably going to get, well, you will definitely get more income from people coming for a golf lesson. And you might not see that now. You might see that, um, especially in this current situation, you might not see it now. But even in, if it wasn't in lockdown, you uploading on Instagram might take six months somebody to come for a lesson, but you will get lessons from it. So I would say don't just look at it from a viewpoint of view. Do it for the sake of liking doing the content or do it for the sake of trying to gain awareness for your business. So for somebody to come for lessons, um, to advertise a new product, to look at products in your shop, whatever kind of your role is within the golf industry, don't look at your views, look at the wider picture. Because if you look at it from the opposite way around, businesses use social media influencers to get their business out there. So they don't look at it as, right, okay, I get paid from that. We look at it, they look at it as, right, we look at them to get paid and sell our product. So you kind of got to look at it like the 360 and just honestly don't look at your views because if you do, it'll drive you insane. I mean, I still do it now. And I, I know I drive um, everybody in my house insane because um, I constantly go on about it. <laughs> I know it's a, it's a, you can't be looking at short-term numbers when you have a long-term goal like you have. No, exactly. Um, or indeed anybody have, you know. So um, um, we use it in sales, A and B testing, you know, Um Try, ver- try process A, try it with 100 people. And then if that doesn't work, try, like, try, then try a different process with the same 100 people and A, a B testing. It's, it's done in engineering. It's done in, it's done in all guess, walks of life. I guess I sort of do that as well. Like with content, like I'll try one piece. If that works, right, okay, the spreadsheet, that works, okay, tick. If it doesn't, right, okay, we'll not scrap the idea, but we'll try it again in a different time or a different place because – at the end of the day, like now at the point that I'm at now, or the point that anybody's at, you've got your, your, you are your product. So you've got to make sure you're posting the right times, looking at the right bits of content, and just don't be disheartened if one thing doesn't work and one thing does. Because, like you said, there, A and B tests and everything else, one thing, you only need one of them to go um, viral, and then you, you're, not, you're out there in, in the market. 
Absolutely. In terms of, because um, you're on all of them at this stage, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, how important is it, especially for people starting out uh, or people listening to this and, and thinking about starting, how important is it to curate or create a video or a picture specific for that platform? So Twitter versus Facebook versus Instagram. Oh, this is so important. I didn't agree. It's going to sound crazy. Up until probably... October last year, when I went to Mauritius with Jade Robinson, Sabon Golf, uh, and the guys from American Golf, I didn't realize how important it was. Um, we were just talking around at dinner, and the guys from American Golf, uh, one of the guys is a um, videographer, and he was showing me how to, to change the sequence size on um, Photoshop, how to change the sequence size on uh, Adobe Premiere. Um, and I was like, wow, look how much better this looks. So I've taken like one piece of content that I'm putting on YouTube. I can now make it for Instagram story, Instagram feed, Twitter feed. And it just looks so much more professional. And I, I, I knew you could do it, but didn't really delve into how important it was. And it, honestly, it's so important. And I'd say uploading less, but with better quality is better than uploading every single minute of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So just to, so people understand, what did how long did that take, that little tip, to learn and what, what had to change about the image if you can in like two, so, I mean, level. the tip was like two minutes not even that like it was just going into one setting and all you had to do is get one image and change the size of it drag it to the right bit and then you're done that's it like and I was like poor this is just mind-blowing because like you say I'm on all the different platforms it helped me upload one image on three different platforms at one go kind of thing you have to export it three different times but it it then helps you create the content you want to do. Um, so for me, it, to answer your question, it is simple once you know what you're doing, but that's like anything again. <laughs> it's easy when you know, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Hitting a straight drive is easy when you know. I don't know that um, <laughs> Currently partnered with Cobra and Puma Golf, I believe. How did that relationship come about? Um, when I first started out, um, I actually, I a bit we said about Gary Vernachuk. Please tell me if I've said his name right or wrong. Oh, yeah, better, better than my name, but go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just messaged, um, well, it first started out, I messaged Bunker Mentality, and they were great to me at the start. They gave me loads of clothing and loads of things, um, which were fantastic. And then uh, as I got a little bit bigger, um, I just thought, well, why not message a bigger company? Um, so they actually started following me on uh, all my platforms, so Twitter, Instagram, um, and Facebook. So I thought, you know what, why not send them a message? If they followed me, they must like what they see kind of thing. So I messaged them. Next thing I know, I got an email, but I messaged back saying email um, Craig, who's become a really good friend at uh, Cobra Puma, and as well as Sean. Um, e email those two, uh, set up a meeting, went down to the cool offices in London, and within like three or four months, I was fully kitted out in Cobra Puma, and they've been fantastic since. Oh, that's fantastic gear. I really love the bit, the, what they do for the Bay Hill every year. Yeah. Like the, the special edition releases, especially because the Arnold Palmer Cup is coming to Lahinch. Not this year now because of lockdown, but um, it will in a couple of years' time. So the gear I bought will still be valid fantastic. with the umbrella logo. It's so cool. But, uh, oh, it's so cool. Um, especially those staff bags they release every yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. So cool. I'm still trying to get my hands on one of them. I've been, I've been, we bought that. I've been throwing it in there. I like them. I like them. I'm still not got one handed on my doorstep. I'll play. I'll play them lockdown now. <laughs> um, mind you, it hasn't stopped delivery drivers. No, they're so busy, aren't they? It's crazy. Uh, it's mental. But um, how does a relationship with Cormoran Pumbergolf? How does it help you create content? How does it help you day to day? 
And then where's the return on investment for them guys investing in you as well? Um, how does it help me? I guess for me, it makes me look more professional. Uh, if you're fully, I mean, it depends what kind of content you do. If you're somebody who reviews clubs and reviews equipment, it's probably not great being with a clothing and club manufacturer as you kind of your um, sponsor. But um, for me, it helps for me not only um, look a bit more professional or very professional, I should say, uh, on on the camera, but also they get me great opportunities. Like I managed to interview uh, Bryce and the Shambos uh, coach, which is something that would never have happened. Uh, they've taken me to the Euro Pro Finals. They've, they've, they've given me opportunities that I wouldn't have got without uh, being signed with them. So not only looking better and being taken more seriously and being able to put Cobra Pume on my website, same an ambassador, because it, um, even if that's quite materialistic, I think it does carry weight because as soon as you say, I'm sponsored by Cobra and Puma, it's like, well, oh, you must be pretty good at what you are, even if, even if some people don't think you are. It, it has some weight to it. Um, and then the opportunities that it had with the big influences in the golf industry are, are something that I would never have had. And in, in terms of their return on investment, they, um, I would say it's the exposure they, that they get because the way Cobra and Puma do it, um, I'm part of like a next level squad. So there's myself, there's uh, Euro pro players, there's um, football influencers who play golf. Um, so they're trying to like almost like cross pollinate and get golf become more a bit more mainstream. So I guess for them, it's more awareness um, and hopefully that awareness leading, whether it be now, six months time, leading to more sales. No, like there's an end game and a bottom line to achieve. But I think what they've done with next level and this might turn into like a Puma Cobra Golf Appreciation podcast, and I don't care. <laughs> but like the the next level program, because I actually saw it, um, because I follow the Euro Pro quite closely. There's a few Irish guys on it, um, and it was kind of it's because they came along and they provided apparel to I know it was a ten or fifteen pros on that tour. Yeah, but it kind of it raised awareness not only of the tour but of those guys as well. You know, so what they're doing essentially for grassroots of the game and awareness of the game, I think it's fantastic that no other brand um, is doing. No. You know? And um, like so you say, you're a pro level, like that makes such a difference. I mean, I sort of alluded to it before, like the money. If they, if you've got someone who's paying for your clothing, paying for all your clubs, it is honestly such a massive help because it's, it's probably one or maybe 5% of people who play Europro will get free equipment and free clothing. And they've upped that massively. So I think it's just an awesome thing that they do with that. Yeah, really, really kudos to them. Aside from isolation, I'm hoping we all get out of it um, in the next couple of weeks. Pray tell, like we're all staying safe and doing the right thing and staying home and staying, saving lives. Um, what is your outlook? Assuming everything's back to normal, whether it be two weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever, we'll do the time, it's worth it. What would be your goals, I suppose, in the next 12 months to achieve? Is it um, a type of video series? I'm assuming it's not view counts <laughs> going by our conversation. Um, what I try to achieve? Um, I guess just most importantly, get back to some sort of normality, um, get back to coaching. Uh, I, do you know what? I'd, uh, kind of a goal that I sort of set myself. I want to carry on the golf chat show, but not do it every night because I don't think it's feasible to do it and, it's hard to line people up. I know it's a little bit easier now with people wanting things to do. Um, but I, I, I want to carry on the golf chat show because looking to my long-term goal of getting on Sky Sports, getting on TV, it's a good example of interviewing people and 
from the, the remarks that I've got from it have, have all been positive. So doing that maybe once a week or two times a month um, is is going to be a goal of mine going forwards, as well as just getting into actually playing a bit more golf myself. Now, so I think that's everybody's goal. I think everyone has a massive appreciation for 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 everything we're not able to do, like go for a simpler coffee. Yeah, Ch- talk talk to the person beside you. Yeah, I you mean, know, I'm, I'm a massive coffee dad, fan. Your mom, you know, I'm a massive coffee fan. I could go and sit outside and people watch having a coffee. It's like my my dream Sunday morning. Uh, that's what I do on Sunday morning. Um, <laughs> but come here to me before we go. Um, you are you will be subjected, and you are now subjected to the quick fire Q and A, Alex. Okay. So thank you for your time, but this is a really important bit of the podcast. Okay, so just where you really need to focus on that high performance mentality. All right. I'm in there. I'm focused. Good stuff, Alex Elliot. What would your walk on song be? So my walk on song would be This City, Sam Fisher, and only because I've just downloaded TikTok and uh, I keep seeing it on there and I've done one myself and I quite like the song. <laughs> I downloaded TikTok for a week. Now, I think you need to be somewhat out of your outside of your comfort zone yeah. to invest in it. I think, I think it, it's a bit of fun, I think, um, especially during isolation. It's given us all a bit of a laugh and a bit of fun and, and stuff, especially from stuff you can do at home. So... Um, shares and TikTok went up. Longevity, I don't know. No. But, uh, it's, it's, I feel uh, cringy on it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Well, maybe that's your loophole for making, like, differentiate, like, the golf aspect on TikTok. Maybe, um, maybe. <laughs> that, we'll all be dancing down fairways and stuff. <laughs> Hopefully. Gym or pizza? Which would you pick? I'd be gym. I love, I love my gym. I've just got a bike, so I can't go to the gym now. So I've been on my bike every single day. So, gym. Very good. Um, assuming they're all Puma sponsored or Cobra sponsored, are you a hat, visor, or bucket hat type of guy? I used to wear a visor, but it'd have to be um, just normal uh, sports cap now. Very good. Happy Gilmore or Tin Cup? Happy Gilmore. Guinness, Heineken, or an iced tea? Heineken. Le Hinch or Port Marnock? Le Hinch. Good man. Walk or cart? <laughs> uh, oh, walk all day. Walk. Win the Masters or win the Open? Open. Would you rather drive it 300 yards every time or never miss a 10-foot putt? Never miss a 10-foot putt. This is a very tough one for you, I think. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Play or practice? Play. Thank you very much for your time, Alex. Looking forward to meeting you outside of lockdown and playing some more golf together, hopefully. And everybody better tune into that golf chat show. It's on every night. And it's providing us all with some super content that we all really, really need right now. Thanks for having me, guys. That was Alex Elliott of Alex Elliott Golf. Do check him out. I'm sure you do already. Um, but yeah, a really great listen to the man, where he's come from and what his goals are. If you have listened this far to the podcast, well, thank you very much. And you are due a bonus. So if you head over to my Instagram at Paddy underscore golf, there is a giveaway going on until Monday the 27th to win a couple dozen golf balls, the seed yellow as F golf ball so yeah check that out and yeah thanks for pressing play please do share the show with your family and friends until we tear up again soon i'm patty